This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen. We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I'm joined tonight in the studio by Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Advisor at ACME. Vaishnavi Jokumar. I can't believe you got the whole title right because I don't even get it right. <laughs> you know, I, I did have to look it up. I was like, what is it again? I know there's don't a worry, lot of you're not alone. <laughs> hey Vaish, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Very well. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're joining us tonight. We've also got film reviewer and host of International Pop Underground, Anthony Carew. Uh, hello. <laughs> I, I don't really know what to say. Should I come with like a catchphrase? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a do you have a little uh, catchphrase? Catch yeah, phrase? I'm curious. Um, a vast ye mateys. <laughs> I don't know. Is that is that cultural yeah. appropriation? Uh, am, I, am I stealing from the the salty sea dog community? Yeah, my dad's going to have issues. He's a bit of a uh, salty sea dog. Uh, look, on tonight's show, we're going to be covering some new releases uh, that are in cinema and streaming. We're going to kick off with a fresh new horror, It Lives Inside, which is the first feature from writer-director Bishal Dutta about a group of teenagers being stalked by a sadistic supernatural force. And then we enter the ring for um, the wrestling biopic Cassandro, starring Gael Garcia Bernal as Saw Amadaris. Uh, I think I don't know if I needed to put on. <laughs> I caught myself putting on a bit of an accent there. Uh, well, let's just go with it. Uh, a gay wrestler from the early 80s who redefined the role of Exotica in Lucha Libra. We've talked a lot about screen representation here on Primal Screen and over the course of this year we've actually spotlighted um, TV shows and movies that have centred Asian and particularly South Asian stories and characters. Um, Vice, you've written a lot about what it means to see yourself and your culture represented on screen. There's obviously a lot more work that has to be done in this area. Um, but what have been some of your favourite TV shows or, or films from this year that have centred a South Asian narrative or character? Um, look, there have been a few, and one we've even reviewed on this show, in, um, which includes like Polite Society. Um, loved in, Polite Society. I love Polite <laughs> Society. Um, and, you know, there's been, you know, various kind of TV shows as well, like Wedding Season, um, Bridgerton had a South Asian focus this year, um, or maybe it was last year. It's hard to tell. The years are me- merging <laughs> into <melting>. one. Um, <laughs> and then there was Miss Marvel as well, which was a Disney title that centred a Pakistani um, Muslim young girl as a superhero. So I think there's been quite a few and I think the narrative is actually shifting as well where I think before um, and I think a lot of artists and performers are finding this there was a lot of there was a massive education piece that would happen within films and TV that you would see that would have to explain people's lived experiences to audiences and I think you can see that kind of shifting at the moment um, Mm. with the expectations that audiences are becoming more educated but the narratives are actually 
inbuilt into the storyline without it being an obvious explainer. And I think we're seeing that more and more and I think It Lives Inside is an interesting example Mm. of that, particularly, um, you know, venturing into the horror genre as well. Absolutely. So this is the debut feature of Bishal Dutta and it is inspired by a story that his grandfather told him um, about being a, a, while he was a, a young man growing up in India. Here is a little taster. When Tamir and I were kids, my mom used to tell us stories. It Lives Inside is a coming-of-age slash supernatural horror. Uh, it is written and directed by Bishal Dutta and it stars Megan Suri. Uh, it debuted earlier this year at South by Southwest and also screened here at Melbourne as part of MIF. Uh, Suri is Sam, an American high school student who rejects her Indian heritage in order to assimilate to the local community. However, when a demonic spirit known as Pishash uh, attacks her former best friend, she must reckon with her heritage. Um, Vaish, I feel as though a lot of the comments about about this film so far have focused on how it acts as a metaphor for moving, you know, the the migrant experience of of moving to to the US, trying to fit in at a high school. It also works on a high school, just high school narrative as well. Um, What were your thoughts? No, I I think that was something that I really um, found about this film, which was how it contended with heritage, culture, religion Mm. and used that as the basis for horror. Like I can think of so many fables that my parents told me to instill fear in me or encourage (laughs) discipline at a young age. Is that across all religions? I feel like like across all all faiths, religions, (laughs) creeds, like this is something that's kind of, you know, parents use as a disciplinary tool. We're not scared you're not doing it right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) What lurks under the bed kind of thing. And I think, you know, the friend who eventually I guess kind of gets possessed in some way by this um, evil monster or spirit is probably a representation of um, Megan Suri's character kind of rejecting mm. um, her, her heritage in some way and, and you know, trying to make friends with the, the popular um, white girl at the school and, and disassociating herself from that. Her, the, the guy that she's after as well is white. So you yeah. can kind of see that in some ways it's almost a representation of how the high school experience was idealised for a lot of millennials growing up as well. And also a very interesting context um to set a horror and you see a lot of gen z horrors coming through now with bodies 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 as a great example of how that's been applied previously so very interesting to see that intersection of culture and and youth embedded Mm. within the genre of this film I love, well, love slash hate that scene with um, the popular girl, the, the white girl that yes, she's kind of, yes. is her new best friend. Um, really, really kind of accurate but horrifying moment in which she is basically, um, she's filming her and talking in Hindi as a, and presumably going to post that up on social media, but there's just this real transactional quality to, to their friendship. Um, it's like she's performing a party trick. Yeah, you know? like totally. Speaking in another Literally. language. Crazy. Yeah. It's like, you can speak another language, right? It's Hindu, which is like a common uh, like mistake that a lot of people make in not being able to distinguish between Hindu, which is the religion, and Hindi, which yeah. is the language. yeah. And I love that there's another scene later on in the film in which, I mean, you mentioned the the love interest, um, another <laughs> uh, a white boy, but there's a moment in which they're on the the swings, and I thought something that he says says um, to to Suri is, 
um, sorry, Sam, <laughs> getting um, actor and, and character mixed up here, that he says to Sam is, um, oh, you're so different. You're so different from Tamara. Um, and I think that he kind of misses the point somewhat in that they do have a shared history. They are um, – there is so much there that the, there's a commonality there um, and their experience is so similar and he is outside of that. And I just thought the film has some really very honest moments in it. Um, kind of amazing it's a directorial debut, although um, – that has done quite a lot of work, right? Yeah, done, a lot of short films yeah. I think he's done, but this is probably like the full first full feature that he's mm. ever done. And when you talk about the comparison between um, the two girls, like that comparison narrative happens to so many people from migrant communities growing up where like you're often compared to your peers of your mm. age, whether it's academic achievements or how they're, you know, uh, absorbing or adhering to their culture. Mm. I think um, Megan, I'm sorry, Sam and Tamira are two examples of how that you know comparison often occurs and how you know two people can kind of deviate and how they want to present themselves in a social sense as well. I was also thinking that it fits into the model minority myth quite a lot yes. um, and can you maybe give listeners a bit of a sense of what that is and and yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because me and a lot of um, my South Asian and East Asian friends, we talk about this expectation of Asian excellence. Mm. Um, and if you are to, you know, whether it's producing a film or producing a, any kind of project or work, as a minority, the expectation on you is much greater to produce something of a high quality mm. or there's an expectation that, you know, this is what it looks like to be a good, um, I guess, um, person from a, uh, of, from a culturally diverse background. Um, and often now we have the we have conversations around um, you know I would love to see Asian mediocrity uh, on display <laughs> you know reduce the expectations everyone yeah, <laughs> we well, love that we saw a little bit of that with Never Have I Ever when we re- when yes. we reviewed that and I love so much um, I've forgotten the main character's name Debbie. Desi yeah Debbie yeah, yeah, yeah of course yeah. and she's fantastic at that kind of anti-hero mediocrity and failing a lot totally and I think. I think um, Mindy Kaling is actually really good at creating sharp characters that mm. embody that. I mean, Kelly from The Office was very much the same. Yeah. She was she was painted as this kind of problematic kind of character yes. um, whose narrative was often about leveraging her race to make other people feel really uncomfortable, but maybe in a quite an exploitative way. But it kind of added to em- amplifying the issues that she was trying to um I guess, bring to the fore when it comes to workplace environments and racism within workplace environments. It, yeah. I, I was thinking um, also there's there's kind of um, been a bit of a shift uh, more broadly if we think about shows like Beef and, and things like that. Which yeah, I was just on. thinking of Beef as a great portrait of <laughs> yeah. Asian mediocrity. And, <laughs> and, and but also, the Stephen Yeun character sort of like really wanting to strive and achieve things <laughs> and failing yes, over and over again. Absolutely. You know? And I kind of yeah. loved it. And then I think more recently at Miff I saw Shortcoming as well, which was kind of yeah. the same. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> portrait of a terrible and annoying person. Yeah. And I, I was like, your character is so grating, but I also love that there's this representation on screen. Yeah. <laughs> this is the representation we're looking for. Yeah, and it starts out with the, 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 the fake version of, uh, I don't know, Crazy Rich Asians or whatever at the start. Yes, And he's I really love that. chewing that out as being like this glorification, this, you know, over-romanticism in, and it's only being championed due to representation. And then he is just such a corrective the fact that that character exists on screen and it's just like uh just this can 
like this constant dramatic reminder that like, oh, this person's a dick. (laughs) Totally. And I think it's that expectation of like, yes, we're allowed to make bad art and for that to be critiqued and that's okay. Like you don't need to hold up everything that, you know, represents someone of a diverse background as like this is the new frontier of art. Like you can be critical of it as well. Mm. But Well, speaking of that. Yes. (laughs) I'm not sure. I think that... uh, Oh, my God. It lives inside? It lives inside, It lives Kurt. inside. I got it. <laughs> I thought it was a, an amazing work of uh, cultural specificity. All the ideas were really interesting. I'm not sure how great it was just as a pure horror movie. Well, isn't yes. it also like, isn't the rating PG or M? Or it's pretty low rating. Or at least it doesn't have any – you don't see too much gore. In fact, you don't see – not, I don't think this is a ruinant. You don't see the monster until like three quarters or maybe yeah, even very later. very much it's towards kind of right the end. end. Yeah. And, and um, you know, before that it's like a shadowy kind of mm. figure that's like, you know, implied through all the kind of tropes of horror with the kind of, you know, that the, the psycho kind of daggery noise of like, oh, it's behind you kind of thing. <laughs> totally. Um, and, and, you know, I have to agree. Like I really wanted to love this because I, I love it when people take cultural aspects or real-life aspects such as a teenage coming-of-age experience mm and translate that into something of a genre and use it as a metaphor to make a broader comment or not even necessarily make a broader comment or just, you know, draw some translations into everyday life. And I just felt that there was just some moments that felt really mishmash. Like there were some really beautiful filmmaking moments. Like, for example, um, even the opening sequence I kind of um, really loved um, with um, Megan Story's character Sam and, like, using the track from More Rats I thought was really, really great. I think the soundtrack is actually really, really good. It kind of, um, you know, it's using contemporary indie music in a similar way to what How Stranger Things uses um, yeah. 80s music to create a kind of, I guess, a genre specificity or a stylistic specificity that I really liked and I but what I found was like there were these beautiful kind of um high production moments like the moment when um Sam meets that guy Russell that she really Mm -hmm. really likes and it was like beautifully shot and and you know it felt really rich and then you would compare that to moments where it was filmed inside her house and home and it just felt so low budget yes in comparison like a like tv show sort of but not prestige yeah no it was like youtube (laughs) I I found myself getting frustrated at how thin the characters seemed Mm, and how lacking in idiosyncrasy they were and how the dialogue all felt um, very expeditious. Like it was just sort of pushing the plot along. Um, All the characters felt, yeah, they felt very thin. And and, and like her school, it seemed like there was one teacher in the entire school. And also she was always like, there was such low lighting. That really frustrated me where they could have fleshed that out a little bit. And also I just like it when horror doesn't always have to exist at nighttime. They could have played around a bit more with those same jump scares, but in daylight. I think yes. it would have just been a bit more believable. Like, why was she still yeah, there I mean, that late? Compare it to something like It Follows, where yeah. there's all those scenes where they're in school and it's in the daytime and there's just a person walking in the distance and that is terrifying. Yeah. Whereas this sort of really went out of its way to be very shadowy. There's so many scenes that, where it's just red. Red mm, is the only yes. colour. It's sort of hyper-saturated. That's, that's the palette that it's using to scare people it felt like it was really great as a metaphor for a horror movie but Mm. once once the the narrative or the engine of the horror movie the tropes kicked in towards the end i just thought it felt a little bit rote like it was just sort of ticking the boxes of here's a character getting killed spoiler and then you know like the 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 monsters coming closer Mm. and closer to the big final showdown Mm. and it felt like uh 
a lot of that conversation, it wasn't like that it fell away entirely, but it was made secondary to something that felt much less interesting than this, you know, greater idea of uh, of a spirit feeding off negativity and the mm. negativity is a character's denial of her heritage. Mm. I agree and I think that there's it's a shame because I love a high school horror. I like that setup. Of course, yeah. high school is a perfect place for yeah, what a, <laughs> locus of horror. What a horrifying place. Yeah. <laughs> and I also thought there was lots of um genuine interactions like you said both of you touched upon this between the characters in relation to to heritage, to culture to this idea of the expectations of your parents and and even the love interest. I thought there was like a believable buzz there. It's just a shame that the horror is, like you say, it's just quite thin and there isn't – they didn't – it just doesn't – it's not offered as much depth as as the rest of the story is. It is a debut so I think that it's always like, oh, well, maybe for the next film there there might be some areas that are are developed upon and and made better – it's just a shame. I'm glad that it exists out in the world. Um, <laughs> I just wish it could have been better. I and, and I guess this is an example where we're allowed to make bad art. Um, yes. <laughs> but, 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 you know, and in saying that, it's not totally bad. I think it's still worth seeing because I think, um, you know, the ideas that it's trying to explore, it's, it's interesting in terms of the horror genre. And I wonder if the red veneer that or hue that you often find in certain scenes is related to like a kind of um, metaphor that's often used in Hinduism. Like red is a co- colour that's used quite often. Like, for example, wedding saris are often oh, red because yeah. it's a colour that's revered. Um, you know, the, uh, women, when they go to the temple, married women, you wear like a, a red kind of ash on your on your forehead. So there's a few different, mm. um, you know, things that kind of translate to the colour red um, yeah. that has like Hindu connotations. And I wonder if that's why red was used in such a prolific way. That's super interesting. That is super interesting. I do love that a lot of the dialogue, I'd say maybe 50% is in Hindi, Yes, which is kind of fantastic. I I love it when films aren't worried about going into subtitled territory, especially when they're focusing in on, um, you know, the the southeast, you know, particularly in this this case, you know, Sam's heritage, like that is this crucial part of this. So um, I'm glad that it, it, they include that. And yeah. Can I give a shout out to it using one of my favourite horror movie cliches, which is the person <laughs> with like a sketchbook of drawings of like their, their nightmares, their sleep paralysis <laughs> demons. And it's like, totally. oh, my God, this, this, this guy who has died and left behind this spooky book, what an incredible contemporary artist. <laughs> And when they, when they go there and it's on the wall yeah. and on the ceiling, it's like, man, this is installation art. This is incredible. Is it therapy or is it installation? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> well, if you do want to see, it lives inside. It's currently playing at most cinemas around the country now. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. It is now time for our second new release of the night. You ever thought about being an exotico? They don't let exoticos win. I want to flip it. Mi voz puede volar. Cassandra is a biopic portrait of the titular wrestler played by Gael Garcia Bernal. Starting his career in 1989, he became famous in Mexico as the Liberace of Lucha Libre. Uh, 
It's directed by a guy named Roger Ross Williams. This is his first narrative feature. He has a long, long history in making documentaries. Uh, Some of his films that have come to Australia, God Loves Uganda, which is about the disturbing embrace of Uganda, especially its anti-homosexuality laws by evangelical conservative Americans. He has a new TV series, which I think premieres tomorrow, called Saviour Complex. Uh, it's about an American woman who founded a nonprofit organization to feed malnourished children in Uganda. Uh, she treated children without medical credentials, uh, led by faith, which led to 105 deaths of children oh, on shit. her organization's oh, watch. Uh, that took a twist. Yeah, Ross Williams <laughs> also made a film called Life Animated uh, about an autistic man for whom Disney movies are the key to oh, his I'm... understanding of himself and yeah. others, uh, human emotions and the world around him. Uh, In 2016, uh, Roger Ross Williams made a short chronicling the real Cassandra. It's called The Man Without a Mask. Uh, It was made for the New York Times. You can just watch it online. Uh, And in making that, he was inspired to want to bring the Cassandra story to the big screen. Uh, He brings to it a documentarian sense of place and verite. There's mm. occasional flourishes of flashback and fantasy, but it's a quite a grounded portrait. Um, sometimes it seems a bit too earnest and sincere for depicting such a, a, a flamboyant figure. And there's only yeah. a few moments that really feel like they're out to transcend the familiar biopic beats. Mm, I agree. There's some moments where you really think they could have dialed it up and gone into that wonderful excess, especially as Exoticos are a drag. They're in drag and they they had such an amazing um, role and costumes in, in the Lucha Libre fights. Um, <clears throat> it's really interesting. Gael Garcia Bernal, I love him. I've loved him since Itumama Tambien, which is um, an amazing film. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's agreeing. Just amazing. We all remember the shorts he was wearing in Bad Education. (laughs) Yes. He is exceptional and and so perfectly cast in this. I I agree with you, though, Anthony. I feel as though I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was, I really got into it. I thought it was such a fascinating subject. Um, I actually did my honours thesis in Mexican cinema and. Uh, one of my chapters was all about Lucha Libra films and it's so interesting because the specificity of Lucha Libra fighters is that, you know, they'll have all these particular community um, focuses. So they'll be like, oh, I'm the, you know, wrestler for um, public housing or (laughs) there's so much um there's so much detail and nuance in in the the sport and we get a bit of a taste of that and it's interesting hearing a bit about Roger Ross Williams past I I was not familiar with him as a filmmaker as you say this is his um first feature right first narrative first narrative feature and so I feel, yeah, he does play it very safe for a character who really steps, you know, this is the 80s openly gay wrestler. Um, such, I feel like some of the relationships in this, so um, he's very close with his mother. I know that some parts of this, this is a real person, this is a biopic as we said, um, a lot of it has been changed, um, but I think it holds on to it enough of the truths mm. of the story. So he, he wasn't an only child. He did um, have brothers and sisters. Um, his father was on the scene for a bit longer than they present in the film. Mm-hmm. He was around to when he was 14, 15. Um, however, there's the, the, I suppose what this film talks about so much is the danger of being effeminate and that applies to his mother 
but it also applies to Cassandro. Cassandro is um, sorry. Saul is the actual character. Cassandro is his Saul. stage name. Saul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that correct? Saul Amandaris. Yeah. <laughs> I guess what it's depicting is it feels. It's not a sports movie. Like uh, it well, does build it up. It does to... have a montage, a training <laughs> montage, which okay. I love. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it feels more like a you know like a sort of awards show friendly biopic about a figure of a champion of social progressiveness. Mm. It's about someone who, uh, in transforming the perception of exoticos, transformed the perception of gay people mm. in Mexico. Yep. So. The Exotico is sort of presented uh, in this film and in this time as a form of out-sexuality at a time in which that didn't really exist. But the reason that the Exoticos could be out was that it was non-threatening. They were mm. the clowns of the ring. Their, mm. you know, flamboyant burlesque was something to be jeered at mm. and to be mocked by crowds. They were the the, the jobbers of uh, Lucha Libre, you know, the patsies who were there to lose they were always scripted to lose and then uh cassandra was the one who flipped that paradigm just through the you know he he was uh charismatic enough that the crowds responded to him and so they wanted to see him win and you know wrestling obviously being scripted it's like the powers that be had to you know uh, heed to the will of the people i suppose Mm. And I think it's a lovely it, – it, it lends itself so well to the screen. Um, it would be – this is, like we said, it's streaming on Prime, which I feel as though it would be lovely to see this on a big screen. Um, mm. I wonder if I would have enjoyed it more seeing it up on the big screen because there's this potential for that idea of what narratives we, we get to see on screen. We talked earlier about representation and I can't help but feel that it's – it just could have been, yeah, it'd be lovely to sink more into this. I, I I, had this constant fear watching it that something really horrible was going to happen. Um, I did not, I was not familiar with, with the story of Cassandra. So I, I was kind of coming in with not knowing where it was going to go. Um, there's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting, there's, there's this tension there. I think whenever well, you're dealing with an openly straight, um, openly gay person in the, <laughs> in the wrestling, in a, in a space where there's so much violence, well, but the violence is always just hinted at. Well, interestingly, there were much more horrible things that happened to him in real life that, that oh. uh, Cassandra talks about in the Man Without a Mask documentary that aren't really touched on in That's the film. That's strange that they which It's sort of like hinted at um, that he has this uh, history of uh, abuse and sexual abuse that happened to him as a child. It's not really explored in the film. So in some ways it's made more... I guess more positive. It's quite a crowd-pleasing film yes, in, yes. in lots of ways. Um, Do you think it's been sanitised um, because potentially there is still a stigma around queerness within the community and they wanted to reach an audience in the broadest way and they thought a celebration of a character was the best way to do that? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it's interesting that Exoticos have this space within Lucha Libra culture and and they have a space. And like you said, Anthony, it is unfortunately to, to lose, to, to be ridiculed. Um, he did shift that and, and I think there's – there's definitely within Mexican cinema more broadly, but also this performance like Lucha Libre, there's um, subversion, like any like anything. So I don't think that's a good enough excuse. I think it's such an interesting story, and it'd be one where you think that they would want to be celebrating this. Mm. Um, yeah, I, it's really strange to hear about that though. That there was this kind of darker side to it because I feel like the film is always teetering there, mm. and. 
I did get very moved by this. I thought the performances were really strong. Um, you know, his coach is a bit one-dimensional. One um, and like I said, and Bad Bunny's in this. Did we mention Bad this? Bunny yeah. I feel like that was the moment that went viral everywhere, which yeah. was like Bad Bunny and Gail Garcia Bernal making out. And I, for me, that attracted a bit of curiosity. I'm like, what is this about? I want to see this. I thought the most dramatically interesting relationship, which seems like I, I expected it to be the centre of the film mm, and it sort of went away for a long time, is uh, he has... Uh, an ongoing lover, uh, a fellow wrestler, El Comandante, who's a closeted man who has yeah. a wife and children, and but they have this ongoing relationship. So he has found uh, sexual freedom. Uh, Cassandra, uh, you know, Saul, the Gail Garcia Bernal character, he's found freedom via wrestling. Mm. There's a great scene when he goes to Mexico City. This is his I'm making it moment. Uh, I'm hitting the big time. Uh, it's based on a real match where he fought uh, El Hijo del Santo, the son of Santo, who was mm. the Mexican champion at the time. That's the climactic match yeah. uh, that happens before the, you know, the denouement of this film. Anyway, he's in a nightclub, he's doing cocaine, he's dancing with like a hot guy and then the hot guy doesn't believe that he's Cassandra and he's yeah. a bit offended and he says, Lucha Libre, Libre means I'm free and he just walks off yeah. on this guy. And so yeah. he really uh, has embraced this sense of freedom and then, you know, El Comandante, I can't remember his, his citizen's name, uh, you know, he's like so pained and so closeted and yes. like you can't tell anyone about this. We can only see each other when yeah. my wife is like out of town. Yes. And he's played really well by Raul Castillo from Looking and We the Animals mm. and The Inspection and Flick's favourite Adam Sandler basketball movie, <laughs> Hustle. Um, oh I love God. that movie. <laughs> I hate it. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, sorry, we're no, not talking uh, about Hustle. Uh, anyway, I thought Raul, Raul Castillo is great. He's always great in the things that he's he in. And I really thought yeah. that there was so much uh, dramatic territory that was so germane to this story and so mm. interesting in that relationship. And I thought that there was going to be more of an ongoing part yes. of it. But he sort of like, Cassandra leaves him behind essentially. Yes. And when he comes back to his hometown after having made it, it's clear that there's now this divide between them. Mm. Like I'm out and proud and if you can't, get with that, then, you know, yes. then we have to go our separate yeah. ways. I, I felt the same. I did think that that relationship was going to be developed more. I thought that it was really beautiful performance um, and real genuine intimacy between um, Bernal and Castillo. Um, really loved that kind of mirroring that we see of a closeted married man with kids and, and yeah, the freedom that uh, Saul is offered in, in the, the wrestling ring. It's a shame that there's there's those kind of I thought that was probably the strongest one and also um, the relationship with his mother does have um, you know that is a big focus um, I don't know yeah there's well there's that device where they bring him I, as I was watching it I was like the time in which they're depicting it Cassandra's supposed to be like 20 22 <laughs> years old Gail Garcia Bernal's kind of he's very hot but he's also middle aged but then when he appears on the TV show mm. later on where it's years later and he's yes. like looking back on his life then it's like okay this makes more sense yes. um but he does talk about his mother being his hero he speaks it aloud this. but i don't yeah. know if do you think that the film itself really suggested that beforehand? I, I actually really loved the the relationship between he and his mum and how it's presented on screen. There is a moment in which I just thought a lot of the the humour the between them, mm. the jokes, and they are both their their stories mirror one and eat one another. She had an affair with a married man, and mm. and he is, and I think that. What is really the threat in the wrestling ring, but also on the streets, is being femme. 
And for both of them, they well, are at that, the mercy of that. There's that scene right at the start where the uh, where sort of like a gossipy local lady, mm. uh, a maid, is like, oh, "Don't don't be like her, or you'll end up with like a bastard son." Yeah. So it's like she's this cautionary tale, yes. and he, the result of this indiscretion. Yeah, I thought that was a little heavy-handed, actually. Of that particular it was. scene, but. I liked the smaller moments of mm. that. I love the fact. I mean, it, this is a, actually not accurate of how he how he got the name of Cassandro. Um, they they suggested it's from a from a like a midday TV shows. I've got the name telenovela. <laughs> telenovela. Mm. Thank you. Um, that that's not actually how how he got the name. But it's it's an interesting comparison, and it's thinking about the way in which melodrama performance and um, this effeminate. Persona is mm. is brought onto the stage. I I enjoyed this. I do have a soft spot for sports films. You're saying it's not a sports film, but it felt very sporty filmy to me. Um, you are right. It did have a, <laughs> it did have a training montage. What what do you um think in terms of how this film stands in terms of contemporary conversations about being out in sport? Mm. Like I think it's interesting mm. with the Matildas more recently yes. having you know having a whole group of openly queer women yes. openly celebrated yeah. is pretty amazing but you do feel like in more you know men dominated sports where there's aggression and I guess contact yes. that's part of the sport there's still this level of oppression very very topical on the the cusp of the grand final and I'm embarrassed to say this out uh, on air because I'm not sure I've got the statistic exactly right but AFL is the only major sport to not have an openly gay player. Is that true? I, I feel like I think there was an true. article um, about that yes. recently, and it's it's not the expectation that you should be out if you don't you know want to be, but it's more about the oppressive culture that whether prevents you can people. Be. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Whether you can be out. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I I felt that especially um yeah, you're right, with Matilda's bringing that to attention and just the comparison that we see. Um I know that with had the um uh AFLW has kind of allowed for more of that queerness to be there. Um there's still so much so far to go. Um I feel like this film, uh, it's very specific to Mexican culture. I mm. mean, um, it's very much set on the, the border, so it's t- in Texas. Yeah, but we should it... have said that, that he he uh, lives in El Paso and mm. would cross the border into yes. Sierra de Juarez to, to fight, yes. to fight in the Mexican scene. And, you know, there's a scene where the, the, the hot guy in the nightclub is like, oh, you're a gringo, you know? <laughs> and it's just like this idea of uh, the, the two cultural parallels kind mm. of sitting right next to each other. Um, there's a scene uh, right at the end of The Man Without a Mask, the, the short film following the real Cassandra where he goes back to to his hometown, to Juarez, to fight in like a very small setting. Mm. Um, it's kind of a bit beneath him but he's doing it for the fans and doing it for the people and there's a scene where he arrives uh, – you know, hauling much luggage full of elaborate costumes behind him and all these just sort of regular families are waiting out the front and they're all, you know, so excited to see him. That felt like a a sort of more poignant image of Mm. the kind of cultural acceptance Mm. of of queerness that this one person and this one wrestling character had generated over time that, Mm. you know, in the early 90s where this film is sort of set, the late 80s, early 90s, he's provoking people and he's really pushing against all these cultural norms. But, you know, uh, he talks about in the film that his 27-year career, uh, by the end of that, you know, it's just sort of much more accepted and you can feel the cultural shift there. 
Yes. Uh, it's interesting because I do feel like drag and, and drag as a performance is, is a way or a, has been a socially acceptable way that queer people mm. have been accepted because it is for entertainment value. Yes. It brings you joy. Um, so it's very interesting to kind of see that, that this film does explore that as a mm. way to bridge more acceptance for queer people in Mexico. Yeah. And it's such a curious thing to exist, <laughs> drag and performance. And, yes, it's scripted, but there is uh, an element of uh, athleticism that's required to, to wrestle. Um, oh, seeing the real, if you watch footage of the real mm. Cassandra in the ring, especially in his youth, just a wild yeah. athlete, just yeah. the, 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 the gymnastic and balletic yeah. moves that he's pulling off. And I guess that in one way that's Gail Garcia Bernal was really well cast in that he's very small and Cassandra was yeah. also very small. I, I feel like there must be backstories. Maybe I even read one when this was first playing festivals earlier in the year about, you know, how Gail Garcia Bernal trained for years, you know, to be able to, to pull off the moves it was mooted as a bit of a dark horse oscar contender when it first showed i, I think it was sundance mm. where it premiered but it, it doesn't feel like it feels like the the the, the it's moved beyond him the, the best actor cat has got too many celebs <laughs> like leo and bradley cooper you yeah. know um coleman domingo at the top of the heap it doesn't feel like uh garcia bernal is gonna crack it with an it's time campaign no. you know after all his years of uh entertaining us a uh, huge shout out to eva doesn't sleep that's probably my favorite film that he's in um yeah, so it does have a it does have the feeling of a film that was made for the awards show kind of yes. season. That's the real the, the sort of prestige picture, mm. crowd pleasing yet about social progressiveness. It's only about a hundred minutes long. It's very easily accessible. Uh, it's now just streaming on mm. Amazon Prime. Um, it's not a tough watch at all. It's very no. entertaining, but I guess some of the filmmaking just felt a little bit. A bit normal is what I and would I guess say. With, yeah, yeah, with biopics as well, they are the ones that people make to get the kind of you know like awards accolades and things mm. like that, like the Fablemans and and, yes. and the Queen. Um, it doesn't feel like yeah. it doesn't have that feeling like most musician biopics though, where it feels like a Wikipedia article, you know, like put on screen, like Bohemian Rhapsody or All Eyes on Me or mm. all those terrible you know rock star biopic movies. It's it doesn't submit to those no, kind of tropes. No, it's a lot more considered than that. I, I I think it's worth seeing. I agree. I feel like I wish it was queerer. <laughs> I thought it was more. Cha- I wish it was more challenging. Um, the performances are really strong, though, and it's got a great soundtrack. We played a little bit of that before, so I think check it out. That is Cassandro, and it's playing currently on Amazon Prime. You have been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Vaishnavi Vijekuma, Anthony Carew and myself, Flick Ford. On tonight's show, we uh, discussed It Lives, Lives Inside. <laughs> <You're> almost. <laughs> Who's lives? Lives? Who's lives? Who's Lives? It Lives Inside uh, by Vishal Dutta, um, the supernatural slash high school horror uh, that is currently playing in cinemas and we then discussed Amazon Prime's wrestling biopic Cassandro which is yes on Prime now with Gail Garcia Bernal as Sol Armandarez Armandarez thank you Mm. (laughs) I think for both of them well worth checking out Vaish Anthony thank you so much Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 